I just want you to uh, rest assured that you're going to get out of here in time. My message is a little long. have to be honest with you, it's not what I originally prepared. In fact, as I was looking forward to July the 4th, I wanted to make sure that we had something that was very patriotic, but it just didn't work out. And the more I prayed about it, the more I studied, I felt like God gave me a prophetical message. It's a little bit difficult to preach, but now I have a good understanding of how Jeremiah must have felt when he was prophesying to Judah. And having said that, let me just tell you that I believe with all my heart that we are the generation that is going to see the Lord's return. I believe that we're going to experience the phenomenon that's known as the rapture. Now, every so often, I hear Christians make the comment that they don't believe in the rapture, and they usually give three reasons why they don't believe in it. Reason number one, the rapture isn't in the Bible. Now, I'm just going to be blunt here and tell you that that's really a stupid reason. And let me explain why I say that, if you don't mind. Our Bible is a translation from the original language, which is Greek in the New Testament, to our language, English. So just because the word rapture isn't in our English translations doesn't mean that it's not taught in the Bible. It only means that we didn't choose to use that specific word when we were translating the Bible into our language, into English. In fact, did you know that the words Trinity, Bible, and grandfather are not in the King James Version. They aren't. But just because the word Trinity isn't used doesn't mean that it's not taught in the Bible. And just because the word grandfather isn't used doesn't mean that there isn't such a thing as grandfathers. Abraham was Jacob's grandfather. Isaac was Joseph's grandfather. But the word grandfather cannot be found in the King James Version. Why? Because they used the word father instead. In 1611, when the King James Version was translated, father could refer to your biological father or it could refer to your grandfather depending upon the context. So that's why the word grandfather is not used. It's not because there's no such thing as grandfathers. But if I use the very same reasoning that opponents of the rapture do, I'd have to say that I don't believe in the Trinity. I don't believe in grandfathers. I don't believe in the Bible because those words are not in our English Bible or the King James Version Bible. The second reason they give for not believing in the rapture is they claim that Jesus never mentioned the rapture or taught anything about it. And people, that's just not true. And let me prove it to you. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of John, the 11th chapter. I'm going to read verses 25 through 26 in just a second. But first, let me lay a little bit of background on you. Three times a year, all Jewish males were required to travel to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of the Lord. The Feast of Passover, the Feast of Pentecost, and the Feast of Trumpets. Every Jewish male was required to do this. So every year when Jesus went to Jerusalem, he stayed in the suburb of Jerusalem. He actually stayed with good friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They were very close personal friends to Jesus. One day Lazarus got sick and the Bible says he was sick unto death. In other words, this was a sickness they thought he wouldn't recover from. That he was actually going to die. So Mary and Martha sent a message to Jesus saying, Please come quickly, our brother's about to die. Now we all know the story. Jesus kind of piddled around. He took his time. And by the time he got there, Lazarus had died. And so Mary and Martha were upset with him. And Jesus began to converse with them. And that's where we pick it up in verse 25. Jesus said to her, talking about Martha, 
I am the resurrection and the life. Now, people, those are not synonyms. Most of the time, we think they are, that Jesus is just being religious. I am the resurrection and the life. No, people, those are two different things. And now Jesus is going to explain the difference. When he says, I am the resurrection, he means something totally different than when he says, I am the life. And now he's going to explain what he means by that. He says, he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. In other words, if a person dies who's a believer, one day he will be resurrected. Why will he be resurrected? Because I am the resurrection. And then he goes further. Now he's going to explain what he means by I am the life. Verse 26, and whoever is living when the resurrection occurs. Notice that's italicized, but that's what it's talking about. And whoever is living when the resurrection occurs and believes in me shall never die. Martha, do you believe this? Now, why did Jesus say that those who are living when the resurrection occurs will never die? Well, I'll tell you why. It's because Jesus was talking about the rapture. They'll never die because they are going to be raptured. They're going to be snatched from the earth. In fact, that's what the word rapture means. Rapture comes from the Greek word harpazo, which means to be snatched or to be caught up. And our mortal bodies will become immortal bodies. So if you die before the rapture occurs, you need to understand one thing. Jesus is the resurrection. When he comes back, your body will be resurrected. If you're alive when Jesus returns, you will never die. You will be snatched from this earth and your mortal body will be changed into an immortal body. Now, let's turn to Matthew 24 verses 37 through 42 and let's look at another passage of Scripture in which Jesus taught on the rapture. It says, when the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time that Noah entered into his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken, snatched, caught up. The other left behind. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill. One will be taken, snatched, caught up. The other left behind. So you too must keep watch for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Now did you see that? One person will be snatched from the earth. In other words, one person will be raptured. The other will be left behind. People, Jesus couldn't have made it any clearer. He specifically taught on the rapture. He told us that he is the resurrection. He's going to resurrect every person's body who has died and believes in Jesus. And he's the life. Those who are alive when Jesus returns will never die. Now, the third reason that they give for not believing in the rapture is the flimsiest of all. They claim that Paul never taught on the rapture, which is a joke. Because he taught on the rapture more than anyone else. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 13 through 17. And you know me. I'm supposed to just read it, but I'm going to expound on it. It says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers 
who have died. So you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. If you turn there in your Bible, I want you to underline that part in verse 14. Verse 15. We tell you this directly from the Lord. In other words, Jesus shared this to him. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with the commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. Now, wait a minute. Verse 14 says that when Jesus returns, God is going to bring back with him the believers who have died. But here in verse 16, it says the Christians who have died will rise from their grave. Which one is it? Well, you have to understand what happens when a person dies. When a person dies who is a believer, their spirit, their soul goes to heaven. But their body does not. That body that you see in a casket is going to be placed in the ground and it's going to decay. But when you're in heaven, your spirit is in heaven, your soul. You can see, you can hear, you can feel, you can taste. You can do everything that you can do right now, but you don't have a body. And one day when Jesus returns, all of those who have died and whose souls are in heaven are going to come back with Jesus. And guess what's going to happen? Those bodies that are in the ground that have decayed, God is going to supernaturally uh, uh, resurrect them. And those bodies are going to actually go up into the air and be rejoined with our spirit or our soul. That's what's going to take place and that's what Paul is writing about. Verse 17. Then together with them, we who are still alive. Paul is teaching the very same thing that Jesus did. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. Now I want you to underline that phrase, caught up. Caught up is translated from the Greek word harpazo, which means to be snatched. Those who are alive will be snatched from the earth to meet the Lord in the sky, is what Paul is saying. Wow. Paul specifically taught on what we call the rapture. It doesn't matter what English words you use. I want you to understand that in the original language, the, the, the subject of the rapture, the doctrine of the rapture, is taught over and over and over again. So if anyone ever tells you that there's no such thing as the rapture, don't you believe it. Now, as I said earlier, I believe that we are the generation that is going to experience this phenomenon known as the rapture. I believe that because of all of the specific prophecies that are being fulfilled right before our eyes. Such as Israel becoming a nation and the Jews returning to their homeland. The Hebrew language being revived and adopted as the official language of Israel. People, that is a miracle. That is the only dead language that's ever been revived and become the official language of a nation. In fact, most scholars, when they looked at this prophecy before it occurred, said, I don't see how that could ever happen. Hebrew was a dead language. But now it's been revived and it is the official language of the nation of Israel. 
Such as the formation of the Sanhedrin and all the preparations that are being made to rebuild the temple. If you ever travel over to Israel and you just come up from... Uh, the Welling Wall, and you go into the Jewish section of the city, you're going to see this huge, giant menorah. Beautiful thing, encased within glass because it's solid gold. You wouldn't believe the security that's around it. The thing's about seven to eight foot tall, solid gold made out of one piece. All of the items that are needed for the temple are, have already been made. They are ready for the temple to be rebuilt just as Ezekiel prophesied. We also see Iran developing nuclear weapons because what was prophesied in Ezekiel 38 and 39 will happen. I told you when we were teaching on the book of Revelation, this is almost two years ago, that Iran would have nuclear weapons, and here we see it taking place. And I could go on and on, but you get the picture. Everything that the Bible said would happen has happened. I also believe that we are the generation that is going to experience the rapture because of biblical numerology. Now, I don't have time to go into this. If you were here on Wednesday nights as we went through the book of Revelation, I spent two weeks just looking at a cosmic day and a cosmic week. But let me just say this. The majority of end-time experts believe, based on biblical numerology, that the rapture is going to occur sometime between 2023 and 2030, no later than 2030. Wow. We're talking about the rapture happening just 20 years from now at the most and maybe as soon as 13 years from now and there's nothing to say that it couldn't happen earlier but people I agree with them because if you understand the concept of a cosmic week or a cosmic day you know how close we really are to the rapture it's going to happen and it's going to happen in our lifetime Whew. but and there's always a but isn't there as I study all of the end-time prophecies in the Bible, one thing sticks out like a sore thumb. What do you think that is? Hey, there's not that many here this morning. Go ahead, throw out an answer. As you study end-time prophecy, what is the one thing that sticks out like a sore thumb? Antichrist? Anyone else? I didn't hear it. Falling away. It's good. You know, the one thing that sticks out like a sore thumb to me is that you cannot find any reference to a nation that even resembles America in any of the prophecies. You can't even find an obscure reference to America. And as an American, that bothers me. Because at least 15 nations and regional alliances are specifically mentioned in Bible prophecy. All of these nations can read about their future in the Bible as clearly as if they were reading a history book. We're talking about Israel, Jordan. Now they're referred to in the Bible as Ammon, Moab, Moab, and Edom. Egypt, Sudan, which is Cush, Russia, Rosh, Iran, Persia, Iraq, Babylon, Europe which is the revived Roman Empire, Central Asia, which is Magog, Syria, Greece, Saudi Arabia, and all of the other Gulf states, those Arabic nations, they're referred to as Sheba and Dedan in the Bible, Libya, which is Put, Lebanon, which is Tyre, and even China, the kings of the east. But America is not mentioned or even referred to 
in an obscure way in the Bible. Now, there are a few Bible scholars who disagree with me. They believe that even though America is not specifically mentioned in the Bible, and of course it wouldn't be because they wouldn't have known what to name it, but I'm even talking about reference to America. They believe that it is referred to in the Bible. In fact, Jack Van Impey, anyone ever heard of Jack Van Impey? He happens to be one of those. He believes that the city of Babylon in the book of Revelation refers to America. But let me tell you why he's wrong. And it doesn't take a Bible scholar to point this out. Anyone who has just a basic knowledge of the Bible can look at this and say, Jack, how could you say that? There's no way. First of all, Babylon was a code name for the city of Rome. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 5, verse number 13. Peter is writing. He's getting ready to close this letter. And notice what he says. Your sister church here in Babylon sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. Now, you need to understand, Peter is writing this letter. He's writing it to a specific group of people. So he, as he's closing the letter, he says, Your sister church here in Babylon, in other words, here, where I'm writing this letter at this particular time, sends you a greeting. Now, where was Peter when he wrote the book of 1 Peter? He was in Rome. So he was talking about Rome. You see, in 586 B.C., the Babylonians came in and destroyed Jerusalem, the temple, and they carried away all of the educated and all of the rich Judeans. They took all of the Jews who were someone or had something to Babylon. And in 70 A.D., the, the Romans did the very same thing. So after 70 A.D., Christians began referring to Rome as Babylon. In fact, that became the code name for Rome, Babylon. So when Peter was in Rome and he was writing to these people, he said, your sister church here in Babylon, and everyone who was a Christian knew what he was talking about because the book of 1 Peter was written after 70 A.D. Not only that, the book of Revelation was written sometime between 91 A.D. and 100 A.D. One of the last books, or I should say the last book of the Bible that was ever written. And as a result of that, when it talks about Babylon, every Christian at the time understood what Babylon was. It was a code name for Rome. Secondly, the description of the city could only be describing one place, which is Rome. You see, Revelation chapter 17 tells us that Babylon is the city on seven hills. Now, there was only one ancient city that was known as the city on seven hills, and that was Rome. We have a lot of modern cities today that sit on seven hills, but there was only one ancient city in those days that sat on seven hills, and that was Rome. So the city of Babylon in the book of Revelation does not refer to America. It refers to Rome. In fact, Rome is going to be the capital city of the Antichrist. So the truth is there is no biblical prophecy that mentions a nation that could even be remotely interpreted as America. Now I'm going to give you one little exception. It's like a little blip on a screen. It talks about the lion and her cubs. When the nation of Israel is attacked and, and Russia comes down with Persia and all of these other nations and they attack Israel, it says that the lion and her cubs protested. The cubs of the lion, of course, being England, and the cubs being the English-speaking nations. In other words, they come in and they protest, and that's it. There's nothing else. They have no power to stop it. 
They are not considered to be a great nation. And so as you begin to go through all of these end-time prophecies, and you notice that America is not there, it makes you ask the question, if America is not mentioned or even referred to in Bible prophecy, what does that tell us? What does that tell us? It tells us that our nation is going to fall. It's going to fall from its lofty position sometime before the four horsemen of the apocalypse come on the scene. Now, I personally don't believe that we're going to be conquered by another nation. But I do believe that America is going to fall from its superpower status in the world. And we will no longer be the greatest nation on the earth. And it breaks my heart. Because our downfall is the direct result of God's judgment coming upon us. We have walked away from what has made our nation great. And we are now being judged by God Almighty. I want you to turn to the book of Jeremiah, the 18th chapter. Remember, Jeremiah is the prophet that was accused of being a traitor. Jeremiah was the prophet that was called unpatriotic because he was the only prophet at the time who was telling them that we are going to be destroyed by Babylon and we are going to be carried into captivity and we will be there for a specific period of time and then God will bring us back and all of the other prophets were saying no that's not going to take place I want you to remember that because this is the message that Jeremiah gave 18 verses 5 through 10 then the Lord gave me this message O Israel, can I not do to you as the potter has done to his clay? As the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. If I announce, now I want you to understand, this is not talking just to the nation of Israel. He's going to talk about every nation. This is a principle of God. If I announce that a certain nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, but then that nation renounces its evil ways, I will not destroy it as I had planned. And if I announce that I will plant and build up a certain nation or kingdom, a nation like America that was based on Christian principles by Christian men with a godly heritage, but then if that nation turns to evil and refuses to obey me, I will not bless it as I said I would. As I said, America was founded on Christian principles by Christian men, and I believe that God has blessed America because of this. But in the last 50 years, we have turned our back upon God and we have refused to obey his commandments. And I'm going to tell you right now that Christians are just as guilty as everyone else, if not more. Because we are the ones who knew God's will and we refused to practice it. We refused to act upon it. We have voted for, for politicians who have supported abortion. We have voted for politicians who support the homosexual lifestyle. Not just on a national scale, but on a local scale also. We have voted for politicians who support programs that are contrary to biblical principles. We have rewritten our history books in an attempt to remove our Christian heritage. Our judicial system has allowed wickedness to be protected and safeguarded thanks to organizations like the ACLU while it attacks morality and it takes away the rights of the moral and the godly. 
And though God has blessed America because of its godly heritage, that blessing has now been removed, and we are going to reap what we have sown, and God's judgment is upon us. Let me show you the eerie similarities between Judah and America. I want you to turn to the book of Jeremiah, the fifth chapter. If you didn't bring your Bible, I want you to take out a pen and I want you to write down Jeremiah chapter 5 so when you go home, you can read this. I'm going to read several different passages from this very same chapter, but I want you to notice the similarities between these two nations, between Judah and America. And I want you to remember that Judah was destroyed because it did the very things we're doing right now here in America. And I want you to remember that Judah was God's chosen people. For some reason, we think of ourselves as the new Israel, that we are God's chosen nation. And we have so relied upon our Christian heritage, not realizing that that is nothing but vain words because we have not put it into practice. I want you to follow along with me as I read through these scriptures. Verses 1 through 3. It says, run up and down every street in Jerusalem, says the Lord. Look high and low. Search throughout the city if you can find even one. Just an honest person. I will not destroy the city. But even when they are under oath saying, as surely as the Lord lives, they are still telling lies. Lord, you are searching for honesty. You struck your people, but they paid no attention. You crushed them, but they refused to be corrected. They are determined with faces set like stones. They have refused to repent. Judah was a nation that refused to repent, and America is guilty of the very same sin. Look at verses 7 through 9. Why should I forgive you? Your children have forsaken me and sworn by gods that are not gods. I supplied all of their needs. They grew up in a prosperous nation. Everyone had a widescreen TV and an iPhone. Everyone had the internet. Everyone deserved to eat out. Everyone had all of these things. I supplied all of the needs, yet they committed adultery and they thronged to the houses of prostitutes. They are well-fed, lusty stallions, each name for another man's wife. Should I not punish them for this, says the Lord? Should I not avenge myself on a nation such as this? Judah as a nation was guilty of all kinds of sexual immorality. But I want you to understand something. America is so much worse than what Judah ever was. There are 24,644,172 pornography websites in America. Now, I know the internet is worldwide, but I mean that the websites that were developed in America with an America domain, that's how many there are. 12% of all the websites made in America are pornographic. Now, that's not something you want to Google, trust me. Every second, $3,075.64 is being spent on pornography in America. Every second, people, there are 60 seconds in a minute. Multiply 60 times $3,075.64, and you're talking over $180,000 is spent on pornography in America every minute. Want to know how much in an hour? Multiply that times 60. There are 60 minutes in that. 60 times 180,000. One in three porn viewers are women. That shows just how perverted we are. Let me explain why I say that. God created man to be externally stimulated. If you have a group of men and a naked woman walks by, every man will go. If you have a group of women and a naked man walks by, every woman will go, Ooh, put some clothes on. 
Why is that? Because God created men to be stimulated externally, but he created women to be stimulated internally. But women have become just as perverted as men, and now 33% of all porn viewers in America are women. The internet porn sites in America pull in $2.84 billion a year. That's more than half of all the money in all of the world that's pulled in because of porn. In fact, the entire worldwide industry only pulls in $4.9 billion. We have more than half with $2.84 billion a year. 2.5 billion emails per day in America have to do with pornography. They're pornographic in nature. 35% of all internet downloads are pornographic. 8 out of 10 married couples are affected by adultery. Someone within the marriage has committed adultery. So if God didn't spare Judah, his chosen people, why do you think he's going to spare America? Especially if we're guilty of the very same sins and even worse. Oh, but we're living in a dispensation of grace. The judgment of God that's coming on upon us during this dispensation of grace is we're going to reap what we have sowed. We're going to receive what we've been putting out. Look at verses 11 through 14. The people of Israel and Judah are full of treachery against me, says the Lord. They have lied about the Lord and said, he won't bother us. No disasters can come upon us. There will be no war or famine. There will be no dirty bombs or terrorist attacks like 9-11 ever again. Oh, man. Unbelievable. You know, our nation doesn't even protect itself. Al-Qaeda is not going to fly in through planes and go through our airports. They're actually going to South America and coming up through Mexico and the borders that we refuse to protect. And therefore, they can bring as many as they want inside America. A dirty bomb can be set off in Houston or New York City or, or Los Angeles. And I'm going to tell you, if that ever happens, that will totally create an economic Armageddon. Verse 13, God's prophets are all windbags who don't really speak for him. Let their predictions of disaster fall on themselves. Therefore, this is what the Lord God of heaven's armies say. Because the people are talking like this, my messages will flame out of your mouth and burn the people like kindling wood. Judah's spiritual leaders were ignorant of God's word. And they were preaching peace and prosperity to Israel, assuring them that God would never judge them. And America's pastors are just as guilty. We come in and we talk about how great America is and we don't look at the things that we're doing that are abomination to God. Verses 20 through 25. Make this announcement to Israel and say this to Judah. Listen, you foolish and senseless people with eyes that do not see and ears that do not hear. Have you no respect for me? Why don't you tremble in my presence? I am the Lord. I define the ocean sandy shoreline as an everlasting boundary that the waters cannot cross. The waves may toss and roar, but they can never pass the boundaries I set. But my people have stubborn and rebellious hearts. They have turned away and abandoned me. They do not say from the heart, let us live in awe of the Lord our God. For he gives us rain each spring and fall, assuring us of a harvest when the time is right. Your wickedness has deprived you of these wonderful blessings. Your sin has robbed you of all these good things. The bottom line is Judah had no reverence for God, no respect. And people, America is just as guilty, if not more. 
We have no reverence for God, and Christianity is attacked from every corner. Let a politician stand up with Christian values, and the liberal media will tear them apart. You may not agree with Sarah Palin, but let me just tell you something. That's a woman who is a born-again Christian, spirit-filled, member of an Assembly of God church, who has Christian values and whose beliefs are based upon Christian principles and she gets up and she lives her life according to that and not only does the liberal media attack her but I hear Christians attacking her and I think it's ripe for America to be judged. Our Christians have a form of Christianity but there is no substance to it. Verses 26 through 30, we're not finished. Among my people are wicked men who lie in wait for victims like a hunter hiding in a blind. They continually set traps to catch people. Like a cage filled with birds, their homes are filled with evil plots. And now they are great and rich. They are fat and they are sleek and there's no limit to their wicked deeds. They're just talking about their leaders, people. They refuse to provide justice to orphans and deny the rights of the poor. Should I not punish them for this? says the Lord, should I not avenge myself against such a nation? A horrible and a shocking thing has happened in this land. The prophets give false prophecies and the priests rule with an iron hand. Worse yet, my people like it that way. But what will you do when the end comes? People, Judah's leaders were corrupt and the people liked it that way. And America has gone down the very same path. Our politicians are corrupt and we keep voting them into office. You know, we can go back and we can see what caused this economic mess that happened during the Clinton era when, Clinton era, when they went to the, the, the banking and they said, everyone deserves a home. We need to uh, uh, release some of these strict regulations and we need to make it easy for everyone to own a house. And so, boy, everyone got into it and we created what were called credit swaps. And the reason we called them credit swaps is because insurance has certain regulations which you can't do this. So they said, well, we won't call it insurance, we'll call it credit swaps. And that's what got AIG in, in trouble. And so what they do is they give people who didn't have really the credit to get a home, and they get them a home, and they put it in here, and, and, and then they would actually sell them as a bundle to banks. And the banks said, well, we don't want them. What if they go up, belly under? And they said, don't worry about it. We'll have insurance for you. And so we can't call it insurance. We'll call it credit swaps. And so they have these credit swaps. Then gas hit $4 a gallon, four fifty, And people who didn't have any money put down on their house said, you know what, I'm not going to quit living the lifestyle that I have. I still want to go out to eat. I will still want to go to movies. I've got to drive my car. I've got to pay $4.50 for gas. I won't pay my mortgage. And bam, 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 they feel like dominoes. And wow, did it ever affect our economy. But you know what? We're going to continue to vote for politicians like that. And yet when we have someone, and you might not like him, but you have to respect his values, Tom Coburn. He sits up and says, wait a minute, these are not based upon biblical principles. And even though my district won't get all of this money, and we all want our money, we just want the government to stop spending. But he stands and says, no, we're not even going to take it. And everyone in Oklahoma gets upset. But here is a godly Christian man that actually is serving his country. And the reason he sticks out like a sore thumb is because it's exactly what Jeremiah prophesied. These politicians are sleek and fat, and they're going to ruin our country. For these reasons, outlined in Jeremiah, the fifth chapter, God brought judgment upon Judah. And if you think he's not going to bring judgment upon America, you are wrong. In fact, I'll tell you what I believe. I personally believe that it's already begun. 
the wheels have been set in motion and it's going to continue to get worse. I don't know if our fall is going to come from a terrorist attack or an economic depression. But either one are real possibilities. All of these socialistic programs are bankrupting nations. People, Greece is in serious trouble. And you see all those riots that are taking place in Greece? The reason those riots are taking place is because no other country was going to actually loan them money and they were going to go bankrupt. So they had to come in in order to guarantee these, this money to be able to stay uh, above board, to be able to survive. They said, okay, we're going to have to cut these things. And all of these people who have retired, all these people that's on the dough, they're upset because the money's getting set. It's getting cut off. And so they're riding in the streets. What we don't understand, Ireland, Portugal, Spain, and Italy are all, are, in, are all in the same boat. France and England aren't far behind. On June the 16th of this year, the, the national leaders got together and said, we're not going to have an economic double-dip recession. It's not going to take place. And then the G20 met almost a week later, and they said the very... They changed their minds to the very different thing. They came out and said, you know what, if we don't do this. In fact, Obama was saying, oh, we need to spend money. He said, you don't understand, we can't spend any more money to get us out of this. If this takes place, our bonds will be worthless. Now, people, it's happening here in America. Experts estimate that California will go bankrupt within two years if the federal government does not bail them out. Why? Because of the entitlement programs that have been established. I'm going to give you an example. In 1999, California Governor Gray Davis signed into law a bill that granted billions of dollars in retroactive pension benefits to state employees. It was a big boost to their, to their pension. It's State Bill 400. You can go home. You can just Google it if you want. It allowed people to retire at the age of 50 with lifetime pensions up to 90% of their final year salary. So they retire at 50 years old because now that the, the lifespan of a person is gone, they can live another 30, 35 years receiving 90% 90, 90 of their final salary. As a result, the California Pension Fund has $16.3 billion more in liabilities than it does in assets and is growing every day. Just last month, now we're in July, so I'm talking about June, just last month, California owed $8.8 billion in short-term loans, and they didn't have the money to make the payment. So they actually broke a law. They robbed from Peter to pay Paul. And you're going to begin to see state after state having these same type of problems. Two weeks ago, Lisa and I were driving in Tulsa, and it was at night, and I said, man... It's so dark here. What's the deal? BA Expressway between 21st and Yale or Harvard. And we looked up and I said, yeah, the street lights aren't on. They don't have the money to pay for them. It's not there. They only have enough money to mow all of the public grass one time this summer. People, you're going to see it state to state. We are headed for an economic Armageddon. And it's because we have refused to base our policies upon biblical principles. We have turned our back upon God. 
We vote for politicians who are corrupt, who are so contrary to what God's Word says. Now, I want you to listen to me very closely. If you don't get anything else out of this message, this is the one thing I want you to get. In fact, I'd like you to write it down if you don't mind. Here it is. How hard we fall and when we fall depends upon us. Let me say that again. How hard we fall and when we fall depends upon us. It depends upon the Christians, not the non-Christians. The Christians. If we repent as Christians and we begin to put into practice what God's Word says, we might postpone America's fall. There is a sliver of hope, just a sliver, that we can keep America from falling until the rapture happens. But I can guarantee you at that point, with every Christian gone in America, that will be the catalyst that's needed for America to fall. But you mark my words, there is no nation that can even remotely be interpreted as America in any of the end time prophecies, which tells me America is going to fall before the tribulation occurs. Now, our only hope is that Christians will begin to repent. They'll begin to vote for Christian candidates. They'll begin to put the Word of God into practice. They'll begin to pray. They'll begin to usher in God's presence once again. And that will keep us from following, falling until the rapture occurs. Now, before everyone gets mad at me, because this is the 4th of July, now we're going to go out and shoot fireworks, right? We're going to go have a good time. Before everyone gets mad at me, I want you to listen to this. For Christians, this should be exciting. For Christians, there should have been something that welled up inside of you and said, bring it on. This is what I live for. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Titus, the second chapter, verses 11 through 15. It says, for the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godless living in sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. While we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. If you have the King James Version, it says looking for the blessed hope. We should be excited that we are the generation that will see the Lord's return. But I want you to understand, the things are going to happen before that day comes, but we are the people who determine What's going to happen? Now look at Luke chapter 21, verses 25 through 28. And there will be strange signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars. And here on earth, the nations will be in turmoil. Economic, economic turmoil. Ideology turmoil. There's going to be wars. There's going to be famines. There's going to be all types of things. They're going to be perplexed by the roaring seas and strange tides. People will be terrified at what they see coming upon the earth. 
For the powers in the heavens will be shaken, then everyone will see the Son of Man coming on a cloud with power and great glory. So when all these things begin to happen, stand and look up, for your salvation is near. People, this is our finest hour. This is a time to separate the wheat from the chaff. This is a time when you'll be able to see who are the true Christians and those who just carry the name. Because the true Christians are going to look at this and get excited. I'm excited, and I'm excited that I get to live in this generation. Yes, things look bad. Yes, things look tough. But let me tell you something. All of these things must come to pass for Jesus to return. And as we look at Independence Day and we see how far our country has come, we are the only superpower still upon the earth. But we also realize something. Things are going to change before Jesus returns. And if you understand the prophetical scriptures and you understand numerology, you know that we are the generation that's going to see it. We're going to see all these things take place. But for us, it's exciting because we are the ones who determine how hard we fall and when we fall. And basically, we can keep things holding on, hanging together, if we will obey God, turn our hearts to Him, and repent, and want America to go back to the godly country that it once was. Is our country polarized? You betcha. There is a, there is a line that is drawn in the sand from the liberals to the conservatives, but I want you to understand. This is the way it must be as we prepare for the return of Jesus Christ. So even though for some of you this might have seemed like a downer message, I want you to know it's not. It's a time of excitement because we are the generation that will see the Lord's return.